now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Krishnanand, award-winning author and counselor, addiction specialist, and documented medical miracle by UCLA Medical Center. He had two near-death experiences, and today he's going to share them with us and more. Krishnanan, thank you so much for being my guest today and welcome. Thank you for inviting me, Jeff. All right. If you don't mind, let's just start with the NDE that was most impactful. As a private counselor, I had I had um, evolved very well. I had moved into the corner office overlooking the park. It was an idyllic life. I was very successful, very reputable, saving a lot of people, very important work, very honored to do it. And I also was, of course, always, since my youth, very spiritual and mystical, so I really kind of had it all. And one day, few, three clients texted me and called and rescheduled. Now, that happens, but not three in a row. And suddenly I went from having no time for a solid book back-to-back all day to having three and a half hours to kill, four hours to kill. And so I decided to go up the street and get a physical. This was a chain of consciousness that kind of came from other areas. I, I was kind of overdue. And I had nothing wrong, but it was something just to kind of go and kill the time and do something with that was productive. And for the first time in seven years in that office, Jeff, I can't tell you why. All I know is I went downstairs. I got into the parking garage. I opened the gate. I got out of my little motorbike. And for the first time in seven years that I ever was there, day in and day out, I turned right instead of left. No other time I ever left there from the to the right. And this day I didn't. I don't know why. To the right is stoplights and more traffic. To the left is a quiet side street into town. As I turned the corner and I went about not even a quarter mile away, there's again, there's a traffic light, which I would not normally go to. And a green left arrow went green just for me. I was the only guy in the lane. And as I eased out to make my left turn, somebody went through the light on the other side and hit me in the face in a full-size SUV, and I was killed instantly, dead on the street, mangled and bloody, absolutely dead. On the corner is a jack-in-the-box restaurant, and there were two paramedics at the front of the drive-thru line getting lunch. Had they wanted burgers instead of tacos, tacos instead of burgers that day, I would not be here. Had they been in the back of the line, I would not be here. They were on the scene in seconds. But prior to this, which I just found out about eight months ago, on the other corner is a tire store and the guy standing out front was on the cell phone talking to, he was getting tired tires on his daughter's car and he was, and he saw the accident and he ran over and he was a pastor and he pulled me from the wreck blood coming from my eyes, my nose, my mouth. I might get a little teary here because it is pretty intensely emotional as a pastor. He knew that I was dead and he started reading my last rites. Meanwhile, people that are standing around are yelling at him, don't touch him, don't touch him, paramedics are on the way. And he pulled me out anyway. And again, I was dead. It didn't matter what they did to me because I was gone. And I can tell you, considering the more supernatural side of things, that the moment the impact occurred, I, as in ego, id, self, spirit, left. I was like, I'm out of here. So paramedics came and, re- and tried to revive me and... They revived my body, 
And I can tell you that my spirit, mind, whatever we want to, whatever combination we want to have it as was completely gone. I left. I was out of there. They brought my body back to life. And I was in a stage three Glasgow coma, which is synonymous with death. Literally, when you're in a stage three Glasgow, emergency workers literally look at you and other people and they say, it's up to God now. We don't, we have, we, we, there's nothing we can do. It's, it's, it's anybody's guess. They took me to the hospital. I went to ICU. And I, again, I want to remind you that I'm not there. I can tell you that I was completely constant presence somewhere else the entire, I wasn't looking down on my body, wasn't having any of that experience at all. I was like, I'm out of here. So I was in the hospital for nine days in a coma and I woke up on my birthday. I wondered for a long time why paramedics on the corner, pastor on the other corner, wake up on my birthday. Why there seems to be such undeniable events that make this mystical event so mystical and undeniably mystical. I don't think I'm special, but these things are undeniable. To wake up on my birthday, that's bizarre. Meanwhile, as I said, I was on the other side. Now what I call my... So my soul, your soul is your essence. It's what you are. It's, it's the, the, it's, and attached to that is your mind. And the two are separate things. And so the combination of those two things, your soul and your mind, is what I now refer to as my spirit. So my spirit was gone. It was on the other side. And I went to this peaceful, nebulous, kind of void space, and I was just consciousness and I was there and I saw a, a segment of the, you had a guy on Reese, I got his name down on my phone here that was talking about what he was feeling when he was there and he was the same place. It was beauty and love and understanding. And there just wasn't any bad feelings. It wasn't tremendously good. It was just peaceful. It wasn't anything dynamic and it was just okay and it's bodiless not physical there's a peace and a sense of security and safety so here's the two sides of this coin on one level i'm having this this unprecedented set of medical clinical emergency situations in a da in a, in a glasgow coma my brain injury was a DAI, which is a diffuse axonal injury, which is where your right and gray matters split and shift. When I woke up from my coma on my birthday, I could not walk or talk. I did not know who my girlfriend of 12 years was, did not know who my son was, didn't even know what a son was, didn't know what a hospital was. And when I said could not walk or talk, Jeff, it wasn't that I was so broken or injured. I'm saying I did not know how. My memory and my identity was completely deleted. You are, we all are basically the collective of our events. Everything we've learned, everything we've seen, everything we've done is our identity. It's who we are. This is what makes up what we are is our memory is all the things that have led up to this moment. Now the eternal present and mine was completely deleted. Now, as my spirit collection of mind and soul returned to my body, it wasn't this rushing, huge event where I was back. 
I remained in both places simultaneously. I was experiencing both and I was far more on the other side, what I now call the portal, what the, what the Buddhists would call the, what the, the Tibetan Buddhists call the bardo. I refer to it as the portal because that just made sense to me. And while I was, my soul had re-entered my body to reanimate my body, I was still laying, I couldn't move. And I was far more on the other side. I was very aware of where I was. And I was very hazily aware of hospitals and beds and all that kind of stuff. It was kind of in and out, but it's very hard to describe in ways that someone who has experienced it can reference it. But again, it's ineffable. And I was experiencing both dimensions at one time. All right. So while you were in your coma, did you go to another realm and have a life review or see beings or anything? Absolutely. While I was in the coma, I was 100% on the other side. As I mentioned, the moment of impact, I didn't hover above my body and see the emergency technicians and responders bring my body back to life. Again, I was out of there. And I was consciously aware of, like, I wasn't scared. I wasn't terrified. I wasn't angry. I wasn't, I was just like, you know what? This is terrible. I'm out of here. Like, I don't, I don't need to be around for this. I do not need to be around for this. And so I catapulted, basically teleported to this other dimension that's bodiless and not physical. And I was just consciousness. And the experience wasn't too visual. And when I, I'll air quote a lot, because as I wondered, see, it's, I'll present to you like I had a dialogue with, with presence a presence that was there and the presence was more than a presence but a, a a system of presences angels demigods whatever we want to call it it's intelligence and it's pure and it's good and so i'll present to you like a dialogue but it's not quite like that because i would not really wonder anything when i was there you just know you just understand and so you don't really wonder and then get answers, you just know. And it's all kind of simultaneous. So again, I'll present it to you like a dialogue because it's the best way we can try to follow along and understand it. So, and again, I'll air quote and say, for example, a lot, because again, it was just a, a, a thought transference event. Uh, an NDE person in the IONS, International Association of Near-Death Studies, hear some of this and he said, he gave me the right word for it. He said, so you basically you uploaded all this information. I, that's exactly right. It just kind of got uploaded. And so when I wondered, <clears throat> where's all the angels and the passed on loved ones and all the bright lights and, you know, the, the, the tunnel light and all this, where's all that stuff? And I was told everyone's NDE is very different and unique. And there was, they weren't saying NDE. Everyone's death experience is unique because everyone processes things in a different way. We give, we, what's given to them is what they can handle. Many people need the comfort, the consolence of loved ones, pets, etc., things that are familiar to them to adjust to this traumatic experience the light, the angels, et cetera. 
And I was asked, do you need that? And I was like, nope, I'm good. I wasn't, I wasn't wondering this because I felt left out or neglected. I wasn't, again, I wasn't really curious. It was just there. Post, as time goes on, you come back to normal, so to speak. That's when you wonder, like, you know, again, you start to see it as a kind of a dialogue. Like, I would wonder these things. And so what was explained to me very clearly, explained very clearly was the death experience for everyone is unique to them, their psyche. And it's been suggested to me, which makes a lot of sense, that the reason I didn't require any of these consolences and comforts was because I got it. I get it. I wasn't intimidated. I wasn't terrified. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't anything. And because of a lifetime, this happened when I was 48. It was seven, eight years ago now. And so I already had a lifetime of not just spirituality, Jeff, but I've spent my life becoming a master in many fields of spirituality. I'm a practicing degree credentialed ceremonial magician, third degree in the OTO. I was already a master alchemist trained at Fomal College and, and tutored by Dennis Hawk. And so I've been making mysticism and spiritual paths and religions my life since I was in my youth. And so what was inferred or told to me, uploaded, was that, again, the question was, do you need any of that stuff? And I was like, nope, I'm good. You know, like I really get it. And I honestly was feeling more like, nope, I'm good. I don't need any of that stuff. And I just want to enjoy the time while I'm here because it's nice to just take a break. And you are in total, complete comfort and peace. Imagine if you can. <clears throat> it sounds so fundamental and it sounds so insignificant, trivial, I should say. It sounds so trivial. But try to truly imagine this. Imagine for just a moment, that you had just a moment of complete and total clarity and that everything that you perceived was okay. Not one thing is out of order, out of shape, out of, out of sorts. Not one thing in your existence, in all of existence, is wrong. And that's basically how it kind of felt, there's air quotes again, that it was just a sublime and peaceful and contentment. And, and it was already understood that it was a temporary situation. There wasn't a dialogue of, do I have to go back? I don't want to go back. Do you want to go back? Was anything like that? Again, it was all uploaded. Here's what's happening. Here's what is going to happen. And, and you also get part of the standard of the death experience Notice I'm not saying near death, because when you die and don't come back, the standard of this that most people don't retain into their next life and birth is the life review and life preview. Many people in NDE report on the life review, where you get your life flashes before your eyes and you see the events. And few people report on remembering and retaining the life preview. The life review and preview are very essential to the spiritual government, spiritual agents, because these two occurrences 
are revealing to you what you did wrong, what you did right, what you could have done better, spiritually, materially as well. And it's not a punishment. It's not a, it's not a chastisement. It's an exposure so that you can learn in a very beneficial and beautiful way and undeniable way what you can be and what you could do better. And the life preview, which very few people retain, is where you get a glimpse as to where you're going in your next life. And in, my, and in the NDE case, back to your life, you're getting a preview of what you can expect. The review helps you put it into context as to why what's, preview, what's being previewed is coming. These good things, these bad things that are going to be happening in the future, here's why. Because you did these things, and these are called the rules of karma. This is the bonding agent, the material phenomena of our spirit is the rule is, is, is the, is the, is the energy of karma. And so again, when you're in the portal, the bardo, you have this complete clarity and you don't, you don't even have the capacity to think, well, that sucks. Like, well, that's good. You know, it's not like that. You, everything's good. And you know that everything that's so-called bad that you're previewing that you did or are going to experience in the future it's just, it's just okay. It's just fine. It's the way it's supposed to be. And you're in total peace with it. And I don't feel that the peace and acceptance that I was experiencing or anybody experiences is given to you. I think again, that it's a feature of having the in-between state where you're not bound by your ego, by your identity, by your body, all these things that make you, you, you're liberated from that almost entirely your mind's still there so you're still the collection of your past events and thoughts and yet you're completely immune to them from listening to your story it seems like that this whole experience was supposed to happen if you agree why do you think it is or was that's probably the biggest and most common question naturally that automatically i can tell you when i was laying in a hospital and i again i will get tears what I went through was very hard. I had a DIA brain injury. I, died, I had to learn how to walk and talk like an infant. I, again, I, didn't, I wasn't injured. I couldn't walk or talk because I did not know how. My memory and identity was completely re- deleted. Not only did I know who my son was, I didn't even know what a son was. And yet, I'm also having these fairly clear awarenesses of a collection of past lives, a collection, everyone that I'm looking at, whether it's the nurse at the hospital or my, or my girlfriend or my son, I'm like, why are you saying you're so-and-so? You're not so-and-so, you're not this person with this name. And I would see them as a collection of existences. And so the common question from the, from the beginning with people I just ran into in the cafeteria when I was able to get to the cafeteria, which I went in a wheelchair, was why do you suppose this happened? What's the meaning of it? This clearly happened for a profound reason. What is it? My answer at the time, Jeff, was I don't give a shit. It wasn't worth it. I'm suffering. This is terrible. I mean, I was in no pain, none. I couldn't feel my body, but my life was over. It, I went to bed one night, and when I woke up next, it was completely irreversibly altered. And I mean completely and tragically so. Literally went to bed one night, and the next time I woke up, I had no idea who I was, where I was, couldn't function, couldn't walk, couldn't talk. 
And so for a long time, the concept of it having a purpose, I really didn't care. I didn't care what it was. All I knew is that it sucked. Over time, of course, you start to come to terms with, you want to know why. And it wasn't because I feel like I'm important. It's because I didn't want to miss the point. It was very clear to me that the spiritual agents, the spiritual government, went way out of its way to design this event in such intricate detail with the paramedic on the corner, the pastor on the other corner. That could have been anybody. Why these, why, on waking up on my birthday, that this collection was so carefully orchestrated and designed that it was undeniably supernatural. And I didn't need the meaning or purpose of it because I needed to find direction for my life or even what direction my life was. And I never changed the spiritual direction. It was, I didn't want to miss what they were trying to, what they went out of their way to show me. I didn't want to screw that up. I didn't want to disrespect because whatever forces were doing this went to so much detail, went to so much trouble. I just didn't want to let them down. And that was my biggest fear is that I just didn't want to let them down and miss the point. So many people emerge from their NDE and they feel that their purpose is to share with the world. To some extent, yes. I'm an award-winning author. I'm a presenter, a life coach, a counselor. I've been on the circuit teaching and educating and training people for many, many years on various areas of life. I've been in mysticism and spiritual, spirituality for most of my life. And so certainly I have been endowed with the skill to communicate. I win awards as an author. I've won six awards because I'm an evocative writer. I'm a, narr I'm a creative narrative writer and I'm evocative. And so certainly I feel the most alive and the only time I'm really truly peaceful and, and feeling satisfied and fulfilled in life is when I'm writing and creating, expressing things in ways, beautiful, profound things in ways that people without having to have the experience itself, would not be able to understand. And I want to present, I want to give, give that as a gift to them. And certainly, I feel that as a somewhat accomplished and experienced author, presenter, speaker, et cetera, excuse me, <laughs> funny time for that, is to convert those skills and that experience to be able to share not just the experience, but in a way that has unique brand that is my brand, which is again, evocative and, and visceral. So sure. I didn't gain anything in the sense that I suddenly found a new direction. Honestly, Jeff, between you and I, when I went to the convention of ions and understand that when I was living in Washington, I never even heard of a near death experience. I never heard the term NDE before. I mean, I'm sure I'd heard of it, but it wasn't anything that stuck with me. And I was having coffee with this guy that I coincidentally met in kind of a bizarre set of situation. And this guy, I'm sharing some of my story with him. And he says, oh, my God, you had an NDE. And I said, what? And that's the first time I ever heard the term. And he says, then he says to me that the IONS, International Association of Near-Death Studies, is having their annual convention in Seattle in a month. And then I realized why I was suddenly in Washington. And when I went there... There are hundreds and hundreds of people, workshops, 
presentations and I'm like, thankfully I get some answers. I get to like connect with a community that instead of feeling so isolated and alone with this, because like nobody can relate to me, no regular people. Can, I mean, I've lost touch with everybody. And what I found is the same thing I have as an author, as I work with addiction studies and innovate methods and practices that change people's lives is that these people had these profound experiences, but most of them could not relay it or communicate it properly. And I felt that that something I, I had the gift to do and I have the ability to do. And I went on a mission to start to do it in my own way, just of course, share the experience in my own, my own brand, which is, you know, usually evocative and a little bit funny and a little bit ironic and tragic and all those kind of things. Most people, when I met them at the convention, I'd say 85% of them, and now please pardon me, I was very cynical and had a kind of a jaded attitude because what I was going through was very intense and I was in pretty bad mood for quite a while. And yet still in a beautiful mood too because of what I was able to experience. But most of these people that I would see on the in the NDE circuit, so to speak, these were very materialistic people that were living very material lives and then their death experience woke them up and they became more spiritually oriented. That's very common. And I'm thinking, okay, I know it happened to you. You were asleep. I get that. You had to have something that's severe to shock you awake to spiritual things, to, to things that are true and, and absolute. But I don't know what happened to me. I was already living a spiritual life. I was already deep entrenched in mysticism. So Again, you look for that purpose. I don't think that my experience is any more profound or valuable than anybody else's. I only know that I have my own spin and my own way to communicate that and share it as I've already been an established author, was already innovating techniques and methods to help people and rescue them from many, many things. And so it was just another layer to who and what I am. And, and this one's very personal. To be very blunt, we all develop attachments, and these attachments in our material lives put up as blocks between us and our spiritual life. The Buddha spoke of this, all the gurus speak of this, attachments, our material attachments, whether it's possessions or even family love, that these things prove as barriers. Now, I was already living a very spiritual life, but I was also very involved in my career and my, my partner, very much in love. And basically, I suspect that the God spiritual agency said, we can, you can get to another octave, but you got to let these things go. And so it's an opportunity. And they took a wrecking ball to my attachments. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with my relationships and my career. It was a wonderful situation where I was helping a lot of people. But certainly where the priorities were in my heart, where was God versus where was my loving partner? They were pretty even. And, you know, in the spiritual path, God's got to come first, 100%. And so on a personal level, the very difficult part was that basically a wrecking ball was taken to my life to destroy it so that this strong-willed man could not put it back together in the way that it was. And I wasn't bitter. I wasn't, I was disappointed because I didn't know anything else, but the life I'd built when it started to finally come back after 18 months of no memory. 
And now I'm more than at peace. Now I'm grateful that the spiritual loving agency went this far out of its way just to give me an opportunity to try to grow and evolve even more as it does with everybody. These people that were living materialized and now they're woke up. Well, I was already living a spiritual life. So I was woke up to a higher octave. Can you tell us a little bit more about the spiritual being who is giving you the answers to your question? Sure. Understand that prior to this and currently, I am associated with an enlightened master. I don't mean that in a metaphorical way. I mean a Buddha. There are always sages and saints. I don't know why I'm here quoting that. Saints, enlightened masters that are on this planet. They're not always easy to find, but sometimes they are. And when you're ready, your master finds you and you find them. And the first awareness I had was my guru. I didn't even know what guru, again, I didn't know what my, I didn't know anything. But this presence takes on many forms. The presence that was uploading and communicating and giving me these insights wasn't an identity. It was a presence. It wasn't visual. So there you go. I mean, I get kind of speechless because it's really not anyone or anything. It's everyone and everything. It is omniscience. It is pure, essential omniscience and clarity and knowledge and love and beauty. And it just is. Would you describe that as being God? I would. And I give you a different word too. And I'll say it's grace. Grace is the conduit. When you plug something into your wall, there's a wire that goes from that outlet to a power source. In the spiritual sense, grace is that wire. You plug into it. God is the power source. And grace is the conduit that connects it together. And so it's grace. And grace is God. That's what God, God is grace. So yes, it is, it is and was and absolutely always is an indefinite, undoubted, undeniable, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent power of love which is which is conscious and that's god and god is not some abstract amorphous being god can be has many forms or formlessness but god also has form and we can associate and relate and interact with and have a loving intimate connection with so this was while i was in the bardo in the portal on the other side again i was just this like blob of consciousness but I was never alone, and yet I was completely alone. You're going to always have a lot of paradoxical oppositions, yin and yang, you know, things that oppose each other, because you're experiencing them simultaneously, not, not one and then the other, but simultaneous. So, yes, it was God. There was definitely more of a feminine quality where, where I was, maybe because that's what I respond to. I don't know. And it was just beautiful and peaceful and loving and accepting and all that. So now that it's been many years since your NDE, how do you think you've changed since then? It takes, this is pretty common in the NDE community where you start to learn. One of the first things I started to learn was that it, standard is that it takes about seven years for your soul, your spirit to stabilize within your body again, which is why so many people from after severe NDEs, their relationships, the divorce rate becomes very high because they can't relate to what they once were. So it takes about seven years for it to start to stabilize. And I thought, well, I'll beat that, you know, 
and I was like really messed up. Keep in mind again, Jeff, that I had TBI. I had a brain injury that was so severe, DAI, that I had to learn how to walk. I could not, I could not focus. I could not concentrate. I was not here. So for a long time, for me, I was simply trying to function. Keep in mind that I didn't just have an NDE. I had, I again, couldn't walk, couldn't talk, and had such a severe brain trauma that UCLA deemed me that medical miracle. They were like, we don't know what you're, they wanted to, they started me for three days because they couldn't understand how I'm doing what I'm doing. I said, I don't know, you tell me. And so I didn't have the luxury of being able to conceive, perceive, cognizate, contemplate. I was literally just trying to survive all the time, emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And once my soul and spirit settled in my body, and I was able to start to take care of myself again and start to come back and get perspective. I would say the change really is that my outside life is very, very different. I have detached from so many things that were still healthy and wonderful, but we're not serving my spiritual journey as much. And I mostly retired from my practice, from my practice as a clinical behavioral counselor. And now I, and I was always doing some mystical training and spiritual counseling and advising, but on a small scale. That has become the mainstay, and my behavioral counseling is the small part. So it shifted my direction, and it became intolerable. The Anything that I was involved with that wasn't almost directly spiritually related, there's always two sides of, there was always two sides of life. There's my material life and my spiritual life. I kept them somewhat separate. For me, it was all spiritual, but yet the function in the world. And so again, it flip-flopped. My material life, behavioral counseling, authoring, presenting, speaking, touring, et cetera, that still takes place. It's just that it's almost all exclusively focused on spiritual terms and mystical paths and, and teaching and counseling and training in that area now. All right. Well, in the beginning, I mentioned that you had two NDEs. Can you take us through your first one? Barely, because I was just born. When I was born, I was born as what's called a nuchal baby, which is when your umbilical cord is wrapped around your neck. So I was born with the umbilical cord around my neck. And when I emerged from the womb, I died instantly. And so they brought me back to life. Now, I've known about this event my whole life, but it didn't mean anything to me. Since I started to learn <clears throat> for many years, and the culture and the community that started to educate me and enlighten me on what NDE is about. When I went to that first IONS convention, suddenly, as I'm reading and studying the, the phenomenon of NDE, I'm like, oh, my God, that explains a lot. It's, again, very common standard that NDEers will come back with many skills and perceptions and traits, psychic abilities, et cetera, that they did not have before. Basically, what happens when you're over there, you kind of get rewired. And when you come back, some of it carries over and doesn't, doesn't unwire for a while, sometimes not at all, if you keep it maintained. And when I read about the residual effects of NDE and studied this, it suddenly became clear. I'm like, oh, my God, my NDE at birth brought over all this stuff. I mean, I've always been intuitive and psychic, so to speak. I don't like that term so much. Solar is air quoted, but 
I had perceptions in, in, in a past life too. When I was two years old, I'm thinking, who are you people? Why do you think you're my parents? You're not, I don't know who my parents are, but you're not them. And I don't know, I don't know who I am, but I know I'm not this kid Scott you keep talking to. And I was very frustrated when I was two and three years old. I'm having this, this battery of cognizant thoughts. And I'm thinking, this is not normal. You're, you're three. You should not be having these kind of thoughts. How do you even have the kind of thoughts? And I thought it was kind of weird that I'm having these thoughts. And it was somewhat challenging and difficult because I realized early on, by the time I'm like three, four, and five, I'm like, don't talk about this stuff. Because if you do, they want to go make you see somebody. <laughs> and so I just wanted to kind of keep it quiet. The intuitive capacity that I've had all my life, I realize that that's from past life accumulation of, of work carried over because those are called sanskars in Sanskrit. That's where your karma is different than your sanskars. And so they're carryovers. And also because I had the death experience when I was born. And so I carried over a lot of residual abilities. Have you ever gotten hypnosis to try to pick up any more of that experience? No. Well, I am a certified clinical trained hypnotherapist and I'm like really good. And so I've done with a lot of past life regression with other, with clients. Um, personally, Jeff, I, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I'll just tell you the truth. I don't bother. It has no value to me. I don't need to know, you know, it's like when I was in the hospital, when I first started to be able to utter some words and they're explaining me all this stuff, you were hit in the face by a truck and blah, 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 blah. And you died. We brought you back and here's your family. And here's a hospital. And you're going to be nice to you. And, uh, and I'm like listening to this and I'm thinking, well, there's three minutes of my life I'll never get back. I don't really give a crap how I got here. I didn't know how to get out. And so I didn't find any value in reviewing what went before, unless it could possibly help contribute to what I was going to do in the future. And so similar with past lives, I have very, very accurate memories of, of multiple past lives. I mean, I'm writing a book on my past life. We're talking dozens, very clear. Extremely clear as clear as my memories in this life. But most of them are common average lives where no nothing event nothing eventful takes place. The only ones that I really want to retain and interact with are the ones that are part of the progression of my spiritual journey to become enlightened and realized. Other than that, I have no value for them. So I do spend some time with meditating on, contemplating, resurrecting, evoking, invoking my past lives that are directly spiritually related to my path and process of enlightenment. But other than that, I'm not interested. All right. Well, how did you get the name Krishnanand? And does it have anything to do with your NDE? Yes and no. I like your question. That's, that's a clever way to ask it too. So in 2010, I was in India. It was like my fourth or fifth visit. And I was with my guru, which again, he is an enlightened master. He's not just some teacher, this like the bona fide, legit, real thing. And it's mind blowing to be in their presence. And so I asked for a name change. I asked if you would honor with me and grace me with it, with a change of name to give me a more spiritual identity, kind of an initiation kind of thing. And it's not big formal. There's not big, some ceremony or anything of like that. And he gave me the name Krishnanand. Now, I am a Krishna devotee. I'm devoted to the, the divine love form of God that is Krishna and Radha Krishna. And so Krishnanand, Anand means bliss, 
And Krishna is the personal loving form of God in Sanatana Dharma or Hinduism, as you know it. And so he gave me this name of being the Krishna's bliss. I'm so unworthy of that. Not even near anywhere worthy of that. And so that's my spiritual name. And while I continue to live and work in the world, that was my private name amongst other devotees that are on the path that I'm on. They would know me that way. But to the rest of the world, I was Scott because Krishnananda was just too complicated. With the confusion of the death experience, and as it was ongoing, and I was constantly trying to find my, my identity and my way every day for 18 months, I barely knew who I was. It occurred to me a couple of years in that I'm going by the wrong identity. I kind of woke up and had a vision and the vision was saying, dude, you're not Scott anymore. Scott died. He was killed like hundred percent. You have an opportunity to assume and adapt and adopt your full identity as Krishna, not Scott. Scott's dead. You've been reincarnated as yourself in this body. You went through the whole reincarnation process, but you reincarnated and that you need to go by your actual name. And I was in Washington at the time, and I remember this series of days where I was having this, these events occurring with this message of being very clear to me that you're not Scott, you're Krishnanand. And the moment I decided to, from then on, take that name, introduce myself that way, all I can tell you is my luck and my, my karma shifted. I went from being confused and having a hard time recovering mentally and physically from the injuries to suddenly on a very quick and rapid path to recovery and, 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 re and restoration. Do you think your NDE led you into this path of studying Hinduism? No, I've been, as I mentioned, I've been involved with mysticism and spirituality in deep levels since I was very young, 10, 11 years old. I became a, something of a theologian, theologue, where I was, I began as an agnostic and I thought that most religious people were hypocrites and I just wanted to be able to defeat them at their own game and debate. So I started studying it because they were all lying hypocrites that were causing all the confusion and violence in the world. But as I started to study and research spirituality throughout my young life, I found God, you know, and I found the truth. I've always been fascinated by mystical paths Tarot, Kabbalah, I Ching. I'm a, I'm, I, I'm, I love Kabbalah. I, I study it a lot. I use it a lot. And after practicing and utilizing these paths, many of them, to get Tarot, I Ching, Kabbalah, Yoga, Astrology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I saw what they all had in common and the union of them. And so I think my, I know that my quest was really I wanted to get to the core. I wanted to go down the rabbit hole and find the source. What was the true first primary original source of religion and spirituality? That had to be the place to begin. It was where it began. As I went down that rabbit hole and I went through all the religions one by one and dissected them and analyzed them, what their origins and sources were, I went, it was like a domino thing. Okay, so this one didn't start. It wasn't the original one. It came from this. This one came from that. That one came from this. So I kept going back down until I found Sanatan Dharm, what you and other people know as Hinduism. Sanatan Dharm is its actual name, and it means literally eternal truth. And sure enough, Sanatan Dharm was volumes of knowledge and information that addresses every part of your being and existence accurately, scientifically. It's not about belief and faith and, and just 
just believing in things, it's logical, it's smart, it's like the science of spirituality. And so I know if I knew I was home. I noticed next to you it says spiritualtriangle.com and it looks like there's a triangle in the illustration. So what is the spiritual triangle? Spiritual triangle is so lifeline down here is my clinical website where I where where my clinical services and my books are at. And that's my private practice. Spiritualtriangle.com is where I offer mystical services and training. So the symbol you see up here is spiritual triangle itself. Pythagoras, the mystic and numerologist, profound, profound man in history, developed the divine, the, 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 the I, I don't get the math right, excuse me. The bottom line is this, astrology, tarot, numerology, and sacred geometry all align perfectly. And they're not, and they're, they've been separated over the, over, over centuries, but when you get right down to it, they belong together. They all work together. They're synthesized. And so after using and practicing and, and using spiritual triangle to do readings and to provide training and insights to people for many years, again, as I became Christian, I was like, took them on my full name, full time. I was getting these visions again. And one of the visions was, well, if tarot, fits into spiritual triangle then tarot comes from kabbalah so why wouldn't you just use tree of life and so i i fused in tree of life kabbalah into it and it fit perfectly same thing with the I Ching. there's six there's 64 hexagrams in the I Ching. i mean not hexagram, yeah, hexagrams in the I Ching. and i'm like well, this is all numbers too and same thing so what i developed was was already developed for for hundreds of years was the synthesis of astrology, tarot, sacred geometry, and numerology. And then I added I Ching and Kabbalah with it. And so it's a profound system of divination and insights. And again, when I say divination, Jeff, I don't, I don't really offer the service of predicting the future. Your future is going to happen. You don't need anybody to predict it for you. What, what, this system does it provides you insights into who you are, how you are, why you are, and what your opportunities are. What's likely going to happen if you turn right? What's likely going to happen when you turn left? So you can choose and make more clear thoughts and decisions about where you're going with your life. And again, it's primarily done in a spiritual context. Many people seek me out for wanting to know if they're going to get a raise at work and they're, they're going to get married and all these material ambitions. And I provide that too, but that's layered beneath because what I really offer is spiritual insight for them to be able to see their own spiritual journey and how to evolve and continue to evolve spiritually. Has your NDE faded over the years or is it still as real today as the day it happened? Again, for the first two years, I was equally on the other side as I was on this side. I mean, it was very confusing. Like literally hard to realize like where I was and where, where, and who I was relating to. And that needed to go away because I could not function in the world. I was, I was functioning fine, but it was very hard to do. As it started to shift and settle down, as my memory started to come back, that started to diminish some, but not so much as in went away. It became less pervasive. It became less intrusive. 
in the early days, it was, it was there all the time and I could not look away from it. And as time went on, as I started to settle in, my spirit started, started to settle back into my body. I had more of a choice in the matter. I could turn and lean into it and look into it, or I could turn and look out of it. If I had to drive my car, I could turn and look out and look at the road instead, which is very beneficial. So it's become more of a, um, not less or more, it's become more of my own will, whichever I want to focus on. Now, again, it's pervasive. It's a constant awareness, not any less than the day, than the first day. But again, if I've got things I've got to do in the material world, I can kind of turn that, I can turn that, I can turn that, that, that volume down and I can turn this one up at will. Can you tell us about your book and where to find it? Sure. The first four books that I have out that I've won some awards for, this is before my, my NDE, before my death experience. And you can just Google my, my, my Western, my, my born name, Scott Spackey. And I think it's on here. So if you go to LifeMind, there is a Scott's Books tab on that. And it shows all my, my books, the awards, and some of the reviews and things like that. And of course, I'm on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you buy books. And all my books are international. They're in audio. They're in print. They're also in ebook, and they're also in audio. And I'm, and I'm the voice on the audio, too. It's a lot of work. And so those four were mostly composed before my death experience. A few things were added on afterwards, which a stone's throw, it's, it's, that, that, that deserves a whole topic on its own. That, that book is a mind-bending phenomenon, and it was deliberate. But the new book that I'm working on now to explain, expose, and offer the death experience and the entire spectrum of, of the event itself is what I'm working on. And that's in the B early stage, not beginning anymore, because I've got a rough draft on almost all the chapters. But what this is, is an epic journey. It's called In the Light. It's an epic journey of reincarnations. Notice I said plural, reincarnations. I'm exposing the lifetimes that I've had and that I can recall, that I'm meditating to recall, that are specific to my spiritual journey and religious journey. So we get to experience is the origins. Eyewitness perspectives of the origins and foundations of some of our, of our world's religions and spiritual paths and philosophies from Kabbalah again, to Judaism, to Christianity. And where I was when these things were first occurring and establishing themselves and how I interact with them along the way and how they contribute to my overall growth and journey spiritually. In addition to that, the book also is describing my actual death experience and event itself and reincarnation process. So this is in the light, an epic journey through reincarnations and it's being written. I'm working on it every day. It's profound, exciting, thing to share and i hope people will get a big kick out of it matter of fact i'm going to be leaving for egypt again i run a lot of visions they usually happen around three or four in the morning i don't know why i thankfully i sleep really well but the visions come and i know the difference between my thoughts and what's being transmitted to me 
they just have a different clarity to them, completely different. Like they're just not mine. Mine don't have that kind of clarity. Mine are just normal. And the clarity thoughts are being transmitted from like the other side, from the bar to the portal. And part of what needs to be exposed and talked about, one of the primary stories within In the Light is takes place in Egypt. And so I'm getting on a plane on the 5th and I'll be spending about a week in Egypt to visit some sites that most people never heard of, nobody would even go to. I'll probably go see the pyramids because I'm going to be there. But other than that, it's not really like on my agenda. So it's hopefully I can get some interest in this and keep people in tune. And it's going to be a blog to book experience where people will be able to tune in and see the past lives as they unfold as I'm writing them. And so they don't have to wait for it to be published. Do you feel that your experiences on the other side are just as real as being here or even more real? And this is like a dream state. Interesting context, Jeff. More real, less real. Equally real in the convention of the word real, but for sure, the material dimension that we live in is not objective reality, it's subjective reality. What you think, what I think, why we perceive things. We, you and I could both be staring at the same sunset and having a different experience because we're having subjective perception. So the material phenomena, which is in the middle, there are heavenly abodes and there are hellish abodes. And the material phenomena is directly in the middle. And they're all equally real, but they're all different dimensions and different aspects and different experiences. It's not the same. Again, in the portal on the other side, you're bodiless. You don't have physical needs. You don't have mental needs in the same way. So just as real and perceptible to me, but certainly the material phenomena is somewhat illusory in the sense that it's so much based on what we perceive it to be. I like cold weather and rain. I enjoy it. Many people hate it. That's subjective preference, you know? The fact is, rain is wet. That's objective. Whether you like it or not, that's subjective. So I think they're both, I perceive them both as very real, but I also have developed a stronger clarity of what's objective reality, what's real and what's not. Again, rain is just wet. That's the objective truth. When I think about it, that's my reality. That's my perception, you know? And so the death experience has definitely made it more automatic to be able to conclude, do the math on, perceive objective reality here on the material dimension a lot quicker and easier. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chit chat with you. Are you open to that? And if so, how should they reach out to you? I am. And that's why I kind of put this here. I am a, yeah, I do offer services and I do give a lot of time away and I do engage with people. I like to share. I like to give knowledge. I enjoy that is the purpose and direction of my life. So here is the spiritualtriangle.com website. That's a place to go and see a lot about me and what I offer in mystical services, mystical training, readings, etc. And then of course my life, my website. And um, I'd like to offer you, Jeff, I mean, I can't do a lot of them, but because the readings that I do, some of them are comprehensive and they cover your entire life. And they're like dead on. They're unbelievable. 
And um, there's also smaller versions of that, like life purpose. So the life purpose reading still takes me a good hour or two to do per person because it's custom made. It's not computer algorithms. And I would like to offer, I can only give two because they take a while. They're a lot of work. But I'd like to offer any, any people that watch this, the first two people that go on the spiritual triangle and get the, get the, uh, and contact me through the contact and email me with 93 and mention your name, they'll get a free reading. And they can take a look at the other ones that are offered there. Thank you for that offer, Krishnanand. And before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? We spend so much life of our life, of our energy, of our time, of our spirit, of our soul, of our, of our passion, pursuing pleasure. Don't bother. Pursue fulfillment. Pleasures for your senses. Things taste good. They feel good. They look good. Fulfillment goes to your spirit. Now, fulfillment's harder to attain. Pleasure's easy. Go buy it. Go get it. Go, go eat it. Go drink it. Whatever it may be. Fulfillment requires discipline, commitment, sacrifice, effort. But when you achieve something, of meaning. It comes with a side dose of pleasure. It feels good too, but not just when you're doing it. See, pleasure gives you pleasure while you're experiencing it. The ice cream you're eating afterwards, you don't feel so good before you're just in a state of desire. Fulfillment comes with a side of pleasure and it feels good before you're doing it while you're desiring it planning it, plotting it, anticipating it. It feels good while you're doing it and it continues to feel good long after you've completed it. So what I try to emphasize to people is to pursue fulfillment, not pleasure. Thank you for that message. And Krishnanan, thank you so much again for being our guest today. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you for inviting me and I appreciate you too. Thank you very much. And thank you everyone who tunes into your program. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.